I'm Jasmine Moravi. And I'm Josie Strange Christie. And you are listening to the Queens of Tech podcast, a podcast about workplace role models where we get the opportunity to ask 60 plus questions to female influencers about their journey into STEM science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Our vision with this podcast is to raise the workplace ecosystem for women in tech. Our mission is to bridge the gap between schools and workplaces by highlighting female role models in STEM to encourage women, girls, non-binary, and transgendered individuals to unleash their full potential in these fields to reach top leadership roles. And to enforce companies to build a sustainable, inclusive culture to retain diverse talent. So we keep the workforce power equal to continue building future diverse and inclusive products. In this episode, I'm very excited to welcome my guest, tech queen, Samia Butnagar, CPO and co-founder at Involved.ai. Hi, Samia. Hello, how are you doing? Great. I'm very happy to have you joining us from Santa Monica today. Thank you. How are you doing? I am doing well. It's Wednesday. That means the weekend's getting closer and I could not be happier. Happy to hear. Now, let's dive into your journey into STEM. Hope you are ready for the Queens of Tech 60 plus questions. Let's warm up with a few fun facts about you. How would you describe your personality in three hashtags? Quirky, weird, nerdy. What kind of music stimulates and motivates you the most? I am music ambivalent. I just love music in general, particularly obsessed with the Beatles. They've been my all-time favorite, but just any music goes for me. What's your personal motto? The one that I truly live by is just live every day fiercely and live in the moment. What is your favorite book? I just finished a book called Less Predictably Irrational, which was absolutely amazing. And the book that is my all-time favorite is The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Every time things are horrible, I choose to go back to that book. What is your favorite podcast? How I Built This. I think that is something that I go back to again and again. Just gives a lot of motivation and perspective. Mac or PC? Mac. Say something interesting about you that most people don't know. I'm a complete consumer of content. Quality does not matter. It's quantity over quality. My favorite shows on platforms is anything that is 40% or less on Rotten Tomatoes. What is your hidden talent? A lot of tactical creativity. I can really think on the spot and break down complex problems into achievable chunks and then get through with them. If you were going to write a book about your life, what would the title be? I Survived. Great start. Now let us dig deeper. Our childhood has an effect on our adulthood. Our early experiences shape our belief about ourselves, others, and the world. Now, I want to discover your childhood. Where did you grow up? I grew up in New Delhi, India. What was your dream job as a child? I wanted to be a doctor. I come from a family of doctors, so I really wanted to do that. What was your favorite subject in school? I know my worst subject. I was really bad in math. I hated math and physics. I really actually loved English. It was my favorite subject. What is your earliest memory of technology and the arrival of the internet? My sister was born and I was in second or third grade telling everybody I have a new baby sister. So my friend printed out like a card that she made on paint and gave it to my mom. And I was just so amazed that something like this can happen. So I wanted a computer so bad. My dad, as a congratulations to me, I had a new baby sister, got me my first Windows 98 PC. Which were the three first technology gadgets you owned? 
One was the PC. The other was the Moto Razer flip phone. And then the one that I was most obsessed with was the, I even forgot the name, the pods, like the one that had the Apple like listening music thing. I shuffles. Who was your female role model growing up and why? My first role model was actually Jane Austen because I read about her life and how she was such a trailblazer. Woman empowerment was something that was very close to my heart since I was very young. How do you think where you grew up and the school you went to and the generation you came from influenced your education and career choice? Oh, a lot. I think where I grew up and the circumstances in which I grew up, which means I have an extremely feminist father. Like he borders on feminazi almost. Like he went like, she will not learn how to cook because why should women do it? And I was like, it's basic survival skills. So it was the house that I grew up in versus the society that I grew up in were very different. And because I grew up in the 90s in New Delhi, I feel that really focused my drive to make the world look like what I saw in my home. Interesting. Now, I'm going to read two quotes. First one, how does the universe expect me to choose a career path at 16? I can't even choose what I want for dinner. Second, Abraham Lincoln said, I quote, the best way to predict your future is to create it. Samya, I want to know the choices behind your career path. Where and what did you study at university? I did computer science in my undergrad and in my master's, I continued with computer science, but had a specific focus on AI and under that for natural language processing. Who and what influenced you to get into your chosen field? I feel my choice of career was a very funny story. Like I said, I wanted to be a doctor and at 16, I still really wanted to be a doctor. So my dad, who's a surgeon, took me into one of those like Grey's Anatomy kind of rooms where you have that window and you can look at surgery and he's, you're going to be so exhilarated. You're going to become this surgeon. And he came out after doing his surgery and he found that I'd like passed out cold seeing the blood. And he went, if the doctor and the patient are both unconscious, I don't think there's going to be a surgery here. So I realized it not have the flair for being a doctor at all and the next thing that came to me was I always think code I always like even when I think it's always a decision tree it's always I just think like that and it just became such an obvious choice for me and I ended up falling in love with it so it was a series of unfortunate events that kind of led me to a very serendipitous evaluation and understanding of what I wanted to be. What professional roles have you had before that led you to this current one? I have always been an entrepreneur. I started my first company at 16 with my current co-founder right out of high school. Started as a project, became a company before we realized it. Ended up selling our first business by the time we were 21. And then here we are with our second business. What does Involve.ai do? So Involve AI is an early warning system that helps B2B companies predict which of their customers are going to churn and which ones have upsell opportunities by using AI. What is your title and what is your main responsibilities? I'm the CPO and the co-founder. I lead all of the product initiatives along with other things such as customer success, some amount of delivery, work with our engineering team. My role is primarily focused on the technology and the product. Why did you start the company? 
with our company that we had before this, churn had always been an issue. And especially around the time when COVID hit, we were working on this company and we knew that this company is not doing well because COVID really hit it bad. And we had this little internal script that we used to be able to predict which customers are at risk for us. And it wasn't anything as elaborate as what we have at Involve AI, but it was like so rudimentary and that helped. And we started giving this to some of our friends and they said, I wish I had this. Like, I wish this was productized. This is game changing. And we went, okay, we're going to do it. We saw a need in the market that we felt first. We tried to solution for it internally. And then we decided to just externalize it. What does a typical workday look like for you? It's the boon and the bane of, I think, being in a smaller company. There's no typical workday. Everything looks different depending upon the day. But my day usually starts with a bunch of customer calls. It's usually a mix of a lot of calls, interviewing people and hiring, a lot of calls with investors and stakeholders, and a lot of customer calls. And any other time that we have remaining is like more strategy and what the product roadmap should look like. I love the quote, choose a job you love and you will never have to work a day in your life. So Samia, what do you love about your role? I love the opportunity to create. I feel if I were to ask myself what my purpose is, the answer is always, I love to have an idea and watch it grow from zero to hundred. That is what I love, that you come up with something innovative that nobody's done before, find a way to implement it and then see it in the hands of people. I think that is the most satisfying and gratifying opportunity that I get at work every day. What is the best experience you've had in your role so far? Any examples? Oh, so many. I feel like the best experience at work that I have had is empowering my team and make the people talking about the opportunities that have been given and how they feel empowered to make their own decisions and to make these amazing solutions. I feel very good when somebody says that, you know what, you really helped me or gave me the freedom to be able to be the best version of myself. And I think that's what a company is about. It's no matter what technology it's built on or financial the company has it's always people first if your people and your team can thrive under your leadership i think that has always been the highlight of my work day what is the biggest challenge you've encountered so far and how did you tackle it I think the biggest challenge that we have right now is the recession's coming. Everyone's like dealing with that. Everybody's stressed out about it. I think being able to make sure that you are alive another day at a startup, because again, you're venture backed and you're trying to grow with limited resources. I think that usually is the biggest challenge. Like how do you forecast? How do you predict? How do you anticipate risks? Because it pushes you into a very negative mindset. You're thinking and you're like, what could kill us tomorrow? And you're thinking about that day in and day out while still maintaining morale of your people. You don't want to sugarcoat everything, but not everything needs to go top down. So what is the right amount of information to communicate without freaking someone out? I think that usually is the most challenging part. What do you wish everybody understood about your role? I wish people would understand what product does. I think like a lot of people, especially when they say I do product, like people understand engineering and people always confuse engineering with product. So they were like, what do you even do? Do you just sit in a room and think? And I was like, no, that is absolutely ridiculous. We do so much more. But it's really hard to communicate just a product person's role because it's so cross-functional and so strategic. For engineering or salespeople say, I call and I 
make a sale of the product. It's not as easy to explain product. They're like, we build product. They're like, then what does engineering do? And I was like, oh, just conversation for another day. But I really do wish people understood what product does. What is one common myth about your profession or field that you want to disprove? Our job is all about innovation. There is an assumption that every time somebody thinks about creativity, we think about Picasso. We think about these painters who could just paint whatever they want and it comes out beautiful. But I feel creativity in the product or technology space is very different. You're having to be creative within certain guardrails. Like you cannot go beyond the realm of imagination because an average person has to use what you're delivering. So it's a lot more of creativity with a lot of guardrails. What do you love about working in the tech industry? Almost everything about it. I love the tech industry. No matter how much I think we scream and shout and we say the tech industry is not all good, nothing is. But the tech industry is the most adopting to pivot and open-minded industry that is here in the world. I know like change is slow, but in so many other places, change is non-existent. So I love being in a community where even if you're different, you are accepted and People try to understand you and of course they're bad apples, but I feel our industry is one with the least number of bad apples, I would say. Oprah Winfrey said, I quote, think like a queen. A queen is not afraid to fail. Failure is another stepping stone to greatness. Samia, what have by far been your biggest achievements in your career? building a product that people love in terms of just usability as a tech person. That is something I'm so happy about. The other thing that I truly think is I have built a group of people that I think look like me, that are in tech, that are women and, you know, given them the opportunity to soar as well. I'm very proud of myself for that. I'm trying to give other people the opportunity that I didn't have or I didn't get because I looked a certain way. It might be a version of unconscious bias, but I think it's a good unconscious bias in this case where I'm empowering a lot of people on my team to do that for others trying to pass that forward which I'm extremely proud about and the third I think is just I'm very proud about the perseverance that there's always another challenge I always look at all the gaps or what I need to do but a lot of the times especially as women forget the journey that we've come on and we don't appreciate our journey in my journey the biggest highlights were where I exhibited a lot of perseverance and a lot of grit and a lot of falling on my face, getting up, dusting myself off and doing it again. And I'm extremely proud of myself for that because I feel that's very rare and that's not what a lot of people do. What's the biggest factor that has helped you become successful in a success habit? prioritization not everything on a checklist does not need to be done just because it is on the checklist the second thing that i've learned is to value my time as much as i value others just because something's on a checklist doesn't mean it's to be done just because somebody has asked for my time does not mean i have to give my time i'm very judicious with my time whether i'm spending it or somebody else's and the third is which i learned pretty recently is the first answer to your problem is usually wrong and i kind of learned that the hard way. I practice that very rigorously. There's a problem. If you cannot come up with five to seven different solutions, you're not thinking about the problem right. How do you measure your own performance at work? I am a very metrics-driven person. We have one North Star metric for everything that we're doing. We have a baseline that we set before we start the project. We have a hypothesis of what we think we will reach. And then we do it and measure success. And if it fails, we do a crazy root cause analysis to figure out why it failed to iterate on it. And if it succeeds, we think we try to hit the next milestone which we create. 
What is your biggest failure in your career and what did you learn from it? Do not recognize sunk cost. There is a fine line between grit and perseverance and something just being sunk cost. It's a very fine line, but you need to understand when to let something go and just consider it a wash and move on and find a different way to manage that. What is inspiring and motivating you the most in your role and career right now? Working with a lot of intelligent and driven people. I'm very excited that I have a bunch of these really motivated, passionate people who are not afraid to fight me on things that they believe are right. I have a team who does not give two hoots like that I'm the co-founder of the company. If they think that something sucks, they will tell me. And I love that environment where people are just as motivated as me. Let us now jump into the influence of mentorship and role models. Role models can consciously or subconsciously be a powerful force in our lives. In addition, mentors can guide us through our career journeys and open up a world of possibility. Samia, do you have a mentor today? I have a couple of mentors. I think that person allows me to be comfortable with failure, which is sometimes really hard to do. Helps me see blind spots and then gives me a space of not judgment. Who is the female role model you look up to in your field? My friend, Melanie, who is running this company called Speckett, and she's the CEO of the company and is just taking it to new heights. So I'm very, very inspired by her. History shows that it's been more common for men having mentors and role models in business than women. How important do you think it is to have a role model and mentor during one's career? It is really important. It depends upon where you are at. The importance is not of having a mentor, but having the right mentor who understands you as a person and understands how you like to think about problems, how you like to think about the world around you. Let's move on to leadership. Cheryl Sandberg, COO of Facebook, said, I quote, Leadership is about making others as a result of your presence and making sure the impact lasts in your absence. What does leadership mean to you? Leadership is such a transient phenomenon. It's different for different stages of a company. But in my world right now, a leader is a player coach, a person who can do what you're asking another person to do, a person who can solve problems the same way that they expect their team to solve problems. What do you consider a good versus a bad leader? It depends a lot on the organization, but a good leader is somebody who can adapt and somebody who is empathetic. I think a bad leader is a person who cannot set goals for their team, who cannot give their team structure that they need. Who is your favorite female tech leader and why? You just mentioned Cheryl Stanberg. I really do like her a lot. She's gone through a lot, I feel, personally as well. And I think that's what gets me motivated by her. Because this quintessential, how do you balance your personal life with your professional life and all of that nonsense? She's just quashed all of that. She's like, I'm going to rock at home and I'm going to rock at work and I'm just going to take over the world. How would you describe yourself as a leader? All of the good things I talked about as a good leader, I tell my team that this is a democracy until it's not. So they know when they can continue to battle me on certain things and they can keep going. I make sure that my team doesn't have fear and it's a flat organization and they can be very vocal about their feedback. Then I also make sure that they recognize that I hold the veto card. If I choose to veto something, that's it, end of discussion. Because sometimes there's just more to a story. And as a leader, what values are most important to you? 
A learning mindset is extremely important. Adaptability is very important. And gratitude is very important. You have to be grateful for the opportunity that you have. And you have to be grateful for the ability to be able to solve challenges. Even if there's challenges, you have to express gratitude to that you are the person who's solving them. What leadership lessons have you learned that have formed you into the leader you are today? Being present for your team is extremely important. You need to give an open door and you need to give a safe space for your team to be able to say they couldn't figure something out, but something didn't turn out the way that it did. Giving them that opportunity to fail fast and fail under your watch is very important. And one term that I'm very passionate about as a leader is task-relevant maturity. How do you scale a person to be excellent at whatever thing they have to perform? And you know, it starts with micromanagement, like I wouldn't those expectations i'm not a micromanager but i'll say listen if i'm training you you will start with being micro micromanaged and then as you build trust with me i'll slowly loosen this whole chokehold that i have on you and so i set those expectations up front a big focus for me is understanding and acknowledging the task relevant maturity of the person and then training and helping them adapt to a hundred percent based off of that what are your three strengths and three weaknesses my three strengths are I think I'm a very patient person. I'm extremely tactically creative. I can really find interesting solutions to mundane problems. And the third is I think I've got a very weird sense of humor that people enjoy. In terms of my weaknesses, I tend to go down rabbit holes. I can context switch. It's really hard for me to get out of the rabbit hole sometimes, which is why I talked about the concept of sunk cost because for me, it's very hard to recognize that I need to let it go. I do have control issues. If I need something done, I need it done a certain way. I'm trying to get away from that mentality and just appreciate everyone's way of doing things. And then the third weakness that I have is I talk too much. I need to calm down. Let us now jump into the hottest topic in business today, workplace culture. Unlocking the power of diversity, equality, inclusion, and belonging. What does diversity, equality, inclusion, and belonging mean to you personally? For me, diversity and inclusion is a lifestyle. It's the way you approach your business. It's the way you approach the growth of your business. So just having it in a little corner and saying, well, look, diversity, yay, feels like a vanity metric as opposed to a lifestyle. I wouldn't even call it a requirement. It's a lifestyle. If I go to run every morning, I'm not required to do it. It's just a lifestyle choice that I made. It's not just something that stops at the leadership level. It needs to permeate across your organization. What do you consider being three to five signs of a good company culture if you were to join a company? If it's a good company culture, I feel it's not about how well you work with each other. It's about how well you fight with each other. If I can see two people having two opposing points of view, battling it out, but not holding grudges and moving on and still being friends and going out for a beer, that's a great sign of a company culture because that means that they're passionate people, passionate about the work that they're doing. Another really good sign that I see in meetings is when everyone talks. And then seeing people of all colors, all races, all genders, is, is of course the first sign of a good company culture which is really important as a woman what has been the most significant barrier in your career and how have you overcome these challenges I think there's only two ways as a woman that you get challenged with. You're either under-included or over-included. There's no happy medium. Like, you know, we're all looking for the Goldilocks' barge. We're all looking for the just right. And somehow us as women in tech don't get that. The one thing that I kind of learned with that is to not be bothered by it. Microaggressions at the end of the day, I don't have to prove anything to this person. And that person doesn't care to recognize me. I don't care to recognize him. End of story. 
Why do you think it's important for more women to join the tech industry, especially as leaders? So that they can induct more females in the industry. There's nobody who will give other women more of a shot than another woman. The biggest reason why we need more women is so that we can get more people and role models for those women. It's not just about a woman. It's about this Indian woman, this black woman, this Hispanic woman. And you have these faces that look like you and who talk like you and have the same accent as you. And you look at them and you say, wow, if she can do it. I can do it too. Or like on CNBC and say, hey, she looks like me. I can do it too. Do you and how do you speak with your female and male colleagues about DEI and B, for example, salary gaps and promotion? For me, my bigger conversations happen with HR, which is to make sure that there's no salary gaps. Everybody's paid by title and not by gender. So we started setting salary brackets per title. We've already preset that. So no matter how much somebody negotiates, we say this is our ceiling and we start putting salaries on job posts that this is how much you're going to get paid, take it or leave it. Those are a few things that we've been actively doing to reduce these problems. There are many public and internal discussions about the barriers women face from reaching higher positions in the tech industry. How do you feel it has affected and is affecting you? And what is your advice on how to best unblock these roadblocks? I have been in a fortunate position where I didn't have to work corporate and speak to that. But I have had a lot of friends who are in that environment. And what I'm learning from them is it's really important to have a mascot or a cheerleader within the organization, a champion for you. As the tech industry finds it hard to especially retain women, what is your best advice on strategies for how companies can work to build stronger corporate culture that engages gender diversity and quality? Training the people who are not women to not try to push women out. The biggest barrier to retention of women is the men in that company. It's just facts where you're getting sidelined or not talked to enough. And I see this every day. Like I'm on customer calls where I'm talking to five men and it's me and my co-founder. And they automatically talk about the technology to my co-founder because they just assume he will know about it. Even though I run product, they know my title. It doesn't matter. What would you say are the same challenges of implementing DEI and B culture in a workplace today? DEI and B culture getting implemented by people who are not a minority, I think is the biggest challenge. If somebody cannot empathize with how the other person feels, then it's fluff. Having the right people who've gone through similar challenges. I'm an immigrant in this country, and I started with trying to apply for my visa to somebody who wasn't an immigrant and who did not understand what you go through when you're in that boat and you really don't know your whole future is at stake. And then we switched, and I found a lawyer who's an immigrant and he's from Iran and he went like I know what you're going through I empathize with your position I'm going to treat you like a human and it's the same thing that I feel needs to be carried over into the workplace where it needs to be implemented by people who've gone through marginalization who had negative experiences in some way shape or form why and how do you think companies would benefit from having workplace gender diversity and equality especially better gender representation at sea level if you have five people looking at the same problem from the same lens, you still have one solution. But if you have five people coming from different backgrounds, different way of processing things, and you're looking at the same problem from five different lenses, you will have a much more innovative, efficient, and ingenious solution. How much do you think the tech industry has changed regarding DEIB since you joined? 
since I started it, I don't think it changed much. To be very honest, we did have people who like wavered or like impacting our culture in a negative way. And just learning how to deal with that was an experience in itself. So yeah, we've had to have a few battles around it. But important thing is we've stuck to our roots and we've stuck to what's important for us. Looking back on your career, what one thing would you have changed in your working environment to break the bias? I would have been more vocal about talking about DEI. It's just important to call yourself a brown woman without anybody cringing. I feel just being more vocal about my gender and about my race and about the fact that I'm an immigrant and I'm brown. It shouldn't be something that people feel uncomfortable talking about. Looking forward, what will you do as a leader to improve the bias for the next generation of women in tech? Besides, to be very honest, besides getting more people that look like me, that are the same gender as me, like basically getting more diversity into the company and then keeping that culture of inclusion going. Culture is just something so ever-changing and each person that is added to your group changes the culture. So I feel just the more you add people from diverse backgrounds, the more your DNA of the company will change for the better. Let us move on to another hot topic in business today, which is workplace life balance and mental health. Samia, you have without a doubt a busy lifestyle. How do you take care of yourself to maintain a good mental health? I feel compartmentalization has been a very important factor. Ever since COVID, I started taking a lot of joy in cooking and making like new things and cooking. I learned a new recipe for sushi bake that I tried yesterday that I was very excited about. But I realized that for me, just doing things with my hands like has really given me a lot of comfort. And one thing that I was taught by my mentor is you need to appreciate the good and the bad feelings. You need to express gratitude for happiness and and sadness and you need to embrace every emotion and not try to push it away so the days that i feel i have a lot of imposter syndrome i don't feel good about myself i don't feel good about work i acknowledge and appreciate even that emotion knowing that it's transient and it'll ebb and flow and i won't appreciate my happiness if i don't get my sadness so giving the same amount of love to every emotion that i feel has been really helpful for my mental health have you ever experienced burnout yes I have when we were starting the company it was seven day work weeks 18 hour days 20 hour days for years i want to say two and a half years straight and there's a point after which your body just doesn't want to cope with your mind or your mind doesn't want to cope with your body like one of the two but you literally feel a dissociation with the world around you and the important thing is to recognize early signs what is your advice on how companies can create more mentally healthy workplace in the new now the new now, there is very blurred lines between work and home. So I feel it's on the managers to be able to create those boundaries for your employees. I personally try to track and make sure that everyone in my company is off at five. Unless it's not, of course, there are exceptions to the rule, but that exception cannot become the rule. That's why having frequent one-on-ones with your employees are important, like with your direct reports, to make sure how many hours are they working? Are they on a lot of meetings? Are they prioritizing their work week so that they don't have to work into the weekend like asking these questions are really important to make sure that you have healthy happy people working for you what motivates you every day to get out of bed 
I'm never motivated to get out of bed. We'll start there. It's always the five more minutes. But I usually look forward. I have a lot of like team meetings that I love, like chatting with my team on. My mind just keeps working. A lot of the times I've realized that I've become a very boring person, but a lot of the times I dream about these crazy ideas to actually sleep with a pen and a notebook next to me. Very excited about just drafting it out. Like before I forget it, like I write it down. And then if you talk to anyone on my team, like you guys, I had a dream and they just start rolling their eyes. They're like, okay, she's got a new idea. Let's start. Let's talk about it. So I'm very motivated by just like being able to build and I even dream about it. Now let us wrap up with a few words of wisdom and a piece of advice for our listeners. What is the best piece of advice you have been given that has helped you during setbacks in your role and career? No matter what anyone around you is telling, how great their life is on Instagram, how cool their work is, everyone is going through their own sadness, their own anxieties, and their own version of alienation. So you're not alone. That's what I think we grew up with, that you're like the worst person on the planet. Everyone else is doing so well except you. And that is like true imposter syndrome. The important thing is to know that anxiety and fear of failure has a beautiful way of alienating you from the rest of the world. We think that we're in this boat alone not realizing there's so many people in there with us so talk to people vulnerability is so important to feel better about yourself you have to be vulnerable to be able to get support so make sure that you're vulnerable with somebody and tell them like even if they're doing well it doesn't matter you'll get support you'll get ideas on how to fix things and then what is the worst advice you've ever been given and how did you tackle it worst advice that I've literally got is just do it. Suck it up and do it. Roll up, keep doing it, keep at it. Like any version of that is the worst advice. That person should not be qualified to give advice at all. Is there something you wish you would have known or a skill you wish you had when starting out in the tech industry? People skills. I don't think it's ever been about how well I coded. It's been about how well I communicated. And there's a difference between talking and communicating. If you had the ability to go back in time when you were just at the beginning of your career, what advice would you give to your younger self? Go to the beach, just chill for five minutes. We were in an office that was two blocks away from the beach and I can count the number of times in two years I just walked to the beach. Like it was never because work was everything. I don't think those five minutes would have cost me anything but actually helped me so much. Just chilling doesn't take anything away from you. What advice would you give to young girls and women wanting and trying to break into the STEM fields today, especially wanting to become next generation leaders? I'll give the advice of just do it with a twist, which is you need to find a mentor. LinkedIn is amazing. Find someone to help you break the barrier. I won't say you will not be able to, of course, like if somebody put your mind to something, you can, but it will just be a whole lot easier if you just go on LinkedIn, find someone who's willing to help and chat you through it, give you opportunities and networks, connections to be able to make your mark in the world. Last but not least, what is next for you in your role in career in tech? What are your career aspirations? I think everyone's dream is to take a company to IPO. We want to be the first AI company that IPOs. Like that is the dream. Let's see if we can reach it. But yeah, we're very excited to keep working every day to get to it. Thank you for listening. If you have worked in the tech industry a minimum of three years and would like to share your journey, please nominate yourself or somebody you know to hello at queensup.tech. For more podcast episodes and on how to support the Queens of Tech initiative, visit queensof.tech.